This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are back with The Chosen to watch as the disciples are commissioned as apostles and sent out in pairs. It's a good episode with some good moments in it. I remember thinking, man, this is like a, it's one of those episodes that's like almost all backstory. And right about when I was thinking to myself, this is all backstory. There's no biblical text. All of a sudden, (laughs) towards the end middle, Jesus sends out the 12 and it's quoting all kinds of text. And so there it's, it's in there. Yeah. And this episode was 70 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that the season three finale is a hundred minutes long. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well maybe, maybe their solution to fitting all this stuff into seven season is just to make more and more episodes that are feature length. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of that stuff, especially the finale is the long credit roll at the end with the donors and the, yeah, I don't know if the runtime counts that or not. That's, that's, I think that's about 10 minutes, but that's, that's still a tight 90. Yeah. Yeah. That's a. That's a solid movie right yeah. there. Yep. But yeah, there is there is lots of text in this uh, that we'll kind of get into. So maybe we should just uh, dive right in, Marty. Blow that horn. All right. So uh, we start off with Gaius and Atticus uh, discussing the tents uh, that are that are slowly expanding the city uh, unofficially, and then uh, you know we'll we'll see later Quintus seeks to do that expansion more officially uh, for tax purposes, but um, they're trying to figure this out. And it's kind of a weird relationship between Gaius and Atticus because Gaius keeps like talking to him as like a superior officer, as somebody who has some kind of authority over him. And I don't really understand how he has any authority over Gaius. Yeah. So Atticus, Atticus is cohortes, I think they call him, which means he's like secret service. That may not be the reference. He works for the hand of Caesar. No, that's that's right. We looked that up yeah. at some point. It was Cohortes Urbane or something like that. Yep. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, there you go. And he he basically does. He He's going to work directly for Caesar. So in a lot of ways, he's not in the same part of the flow chart, but he, in a lot of ways, outranks, uh, uh, well, even Quintus at, at, in the next scene we see. One of the next few scenes, we see him even talk <laughs> to Quintus as though he has superior authority. Yeah, Quintus is interesting because every time he makes a reference to Caesar, he does some sort of like, yeah, you know, praise be him or something. Yep. Um, and it seems like, I don't know, I don't remember if Gaius did or not, but I know Atticus definitely made some references to Caesar, but he wouldn't like say anything so directly that he tied himself into having to say that. I don't know. It was kind of weird. I don't know if Quintus is just being like, overly i mean i guess if i guess if atticus does have some authority over quintus like quintus is going to be on his best behavior yep and that's the flex that's being done there all the time is again not not in the same river of the flow chart but the whole time he has to keep remembering like hey remember who i work for yeah remember who i represent remember who i speak to like at the end of the scene in question he'll reference but has to go spend some time with Pilot with pilot, really, yeah, because he's now the governor, he's going to even be over. So he's just he keeps making these references, like, Remember, I spend time with all of your bosses, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quintus definitely squirms at that, yeah, <laughs> at that line about going to pilot. Uh, the other thing interesting that guys said in that conversation with Quintus is he referenced Jesus' sermon being on the Chorazin Plateau, uh huh, 
Is that the same thing as a Ramos Tapos or is that a... Uh, probably, um, yeah. I mean, it, it would probably be a reference to what sits behind Corazon. Uh, going to be more up on top, um, kind of behind everything rather than a Ramos Tapos. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's also another popular place where a lot of people uh, think that that could have happened. So it's one of, I would say it's one of the top three locations that people talk about. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so later in the night, uh, we see Z and Nathaniel are walking around the tents trying to keep order. And, um, Z is being a little, is a little zealous, if you will, but, uh, <laughs> enforcing the <laughs> fire code. And Nathaniel's like, dude, you gotta, you gotta pick your battles. Like there's nothing we can do about this. Really? There's too many people that they're like, what do you expect them to do? I found the whole camp. That's going to play a big part in season three, this camp that's growing outside of, I mean, that, that will, that'll be a huge cog in the story. And I find the whole thing to be so interesting. Not that it's not historically plausible, such a, such an interesting take, uh, feels a little arbitrary, maybe not. Um, I don't mind it. It's just, it's just such a it plays such a prominent role. This huge cow crowd gathering to set up tents and a temporary. And I mean, we're told about crowds gathering. I never really thought about whether or not they were lodging. I think I've always supposed they were more local crowds that were coming from the local residents, but it's an interesting take. It's just going to play such a dominant part of the storyline, but interesting. And then how they are able to weave that into the Roman um, socio-political context and the dynamic there between Rome and the people and the ministry of Jesus. It was, it was just an interesting, interesting part of season three. And, uh, you know, I think Rome's concern is somewhat valid in that at the end of that opening scene, we see some zealots who are paying attention to what Z is doing. Yep. Or, I mean, I don't know if they're paying attention necessarily. I mean, I think we find out later, but, uh, like they're they're there either way. Yep. And who like like when Atticus talks to Z later on that rooftop, he's like, "So what? You know, like, what are you guys doing here? What's the what's the purpose of all this? What do you expect to happen?" Right. Like you know, these guys are going to do something. Yep. Um, they're not going to stop. So either you got to stop them or I got to stop them. Yep. But they look at you as a traitor now. So whatever like you know it's it's all complicated yep and not only that element but the i mean it's it is going to put a strain on the local infrastructure they're already starting to talk about in this episode the bad water that's going to play out for a few more episodes as well but i mean just all the people having a pretty big effect um whether it's the threat and the danger of what can't be controlled or just that amount of people and what it does to yeah just the 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 civil infrastructure of things like water systems and everything it's yeah it would be uh if that's the case it would be a it would be a thing so this is set in is it capernaum yes is that where they are yep so like not not a not a decapolis city not a like no roman city at all so nope it just uh it seems weird that the infrastructure would be as developed and and really that's the point is it's not like there's one oh yeah i uh, guess that's just gonna be one key cistern connected to the synagogue so right pretty uh yeah which i want to say all kinds of stuff about but i'll be getting ahead of myself into later episodes so i'm just gonna stop myself <laughs> okay well we'll we'll definitely get back to it because yeah it is it is a theme so 
then we get into the credits. So coming from there, uh, Matthew's sitting with his parents, his mom's concerned for his health. You know, she's like, have you been, have you been eating enough? How have you been sleeping outside? Blah, blah, blah. Um, they're surprised when Matthew refers to Philip as a friend. Um, but ultimately in the scene and man, these reconciliation themes, Marty, they are hitting me pretty hard. <laughs> I knew as I watched it today, I was like, oh, I bet this one got Brent right in the, yep. right in the yep. feels. Man, and I don't know why that is necessarily, but um, yeah, like Matthew just like, he, it's awkward, but he like works his way through the reconciliation. He confesses all these things. And then Alfie, I, I loved this little detail is Alpheus offers Matthew some food. Yep. And they don't actually go through the meal, but I just love that like, yeah. Hey, I'm I'm gonna give you food. We're gonna eat together. Yep. Um, and they don't, you know, it's another one of those things where they don't make a big deal about it. You you don't even think about it if you don't if you don't know that context. Yeah. And we, you know, two notes I have on that repentance scene is a he, he he's not just like this was not quick repentance, and it's not just because Matthew's this quirky dude with all of this, you know, uh, awkward anxiety. It's like we've talked before about the Jewish, um, the, the Jewish uh, process of repentance, and how there are like multiple steps, and and you don't just acknowledge that you've done something wrong, but you talk about the impact that it's had and the way that it's hurt people, and and then you make restitution. You see all of those elements in what Matthew's doing. He's not just out of this sense of guilt and shame, trying to get a quick apology off his chest and look for forgiveness. He is thoroughly grappling with in front of the people he's offended what he did and the impact it has and he's wanting to make restitution and like i just i liked that and the other note i have is that i feel like in the typical jewish setting that could have easily been uh very covenantal very i don't want to say contractual but very transactional like they could have just talked about the details i think that would have been very normal um in that in that culture then, maybe even in that culture now. But in Jesus, I feel like the way it's being depicted, I don't know how intentional this is on the part of the writers, but it's more relational. It's more emotional. Like they're connecting as people. Like there's, you can see heart, not just transaction, not just apology, not just doing, and I I don't mean that in a flippant way. I mean, doing the right things, but you can do the right things and never really connect on a heart level. And these conversations, these interactions are relational interactions, they're emotional interactions. And I think that's part of the person of Jesus, you know, his character, the, the character being portrayed in the show, like part of him, part of what he's teaching this group of people, part of what he embodies, part of his love that has been made incarnate, like coming out in his followers. And I liked that part too. That was my other note I had from that scene. Yeah. So, so beautiful to see that. And yeah, it isn't, I, I like that. Obviously I think this would, would play out in, in real life. This would play out over days, months, years. Sure. Like it, it's going to take a while to heal all those things, but I like that they, 
spent a substantial amount of time in this episode on that conversation. It wasn't just like a quick fix. Yep. And like, oh, we're just going to, you know, go back to normal now. Yep. Like even at the end of the conversation, um, his mom makes Matthew refer to her as Ema, makes Alpheus get up and, and address Matthew uh, and forgive him like with, you know, with those direct words. Yep. And then makes Matthew refer to him as Abba and like, you know, it's still hard. Like it still feels weird. Yep. But they, you know, they're working on it. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> so then this is where we have that conversation with Gaius and Atticus and Quintus and they walk in and Quintus is very upset about the sewage and the water supply. I think who wouldn't be, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, Quintus, uh, after hearing about the tents, just wants to get rid of the whole thing. And Atticus is like, well, you know, maybe you could, maybe you could like redraw the city boundaries and tax them. And, you know, they're not paying taxes where they're supposed to. And they're not on your census. That's going to make your numbers look really good. So uh, I think Quintus is is on board with that idea, but also just a little uncomfortable about having Atticus around in general yeah. um, in, in his operation. And, you know, we kind of talked about half of that scene already. So a um, couple of quick, quick things after that. Uh, Zebedee is sharing his olive oil. Um, he's been working on his, his olive press and doing that and, uh, apparently makes a good batch, uh, this time. And then Thomas goes on and shares his intentions to marry Rayma and everybody's excited about that. Uh, then we see Simon and Eden trying to spend some time together. And well, going back to, going back to Thomas, I, I liked the, um, the attention to detail about the family connections. He has no father. He has no patriarchal ancestry to do the arrangement. Um, and, and then there's immediate connection to Jesus as rabbi. And I thought that, I mean, socially speaking, that's exactly how they, like in our world, and maybe probably even appropriately so, I don't think we would make those connections like, oh, you intend to marry a girl? Like, what does your pastor think about that? Like, I mean, that would be a relevant question, I suppose. But in the Jewish rabbinical world, like the one relationship that that means just as much as his father, if his father would have been alive, or it can be it can be a standing in place of his father, or in some Jewish perspectives, even a greater relationship of responsibility um, than his father as the responsibility of the rabbi. So I I loved that immediate awareness in that scene. It's not just that Thomas wants to marry. They even make that point. Well, it's not you that gets to pick like nobody. And I love, <laughs> what about David and Abigail? Probably not the best example. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I love those references that they had to all of that. But I mean, there were, uh, there was just an awareness of how marriage worked in their culture. I liked that. It, it, it reinforced some of the things we've talked about on the podcast before and Definitely made some positive notes there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I was thinking about was even even if his father was alive, would Jesus have? Sure. Um, it's a good question. Would, would he have been the, yeah. the guy to ask anyway? Yep. And Jesus was not surprised at all when uh, Thomas goes to him later. And Jesus like, did you notice where I'm sending you? Yeah, right. <laughs> to do your ministry, like, you know, finish that work and then, you know, make a stop on the way back. Yep. And and uh, yeah, so so Jesus is, you know, totally on board. Um, okay, so then Simon and Eden are trying to spend some time together and, you know, the, their constant struggle to do that. Um, but it, uh, I think that kind of works out. Uh, they're starting to get an understanding with the other guys. And then uh, then we see Gaius and somebody named Julius. I don't know if he's going to end up coming back, but they did give him a name. Um, they're patrolling the tents. 
and Julius is trying to get some guy not to drink uh, in public, which I, I mean, I, that seems like weird regulation considering some of the some of the things we see happening in the Roman Empire, um, like in our studies anyway. But uh, Gaius is just like, come on, man, are you just going to make him go in the tent and then he's going to walk right back out three steps, you know? Like, we do need to enforce our protocol, but let's be patient and let's be reasonable. Um, so Gaius is definitely struggling with some, like, con- conflicted thoughts here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those are definitely some historically rooted. When one of the things that Octave, like, I'm trying to think, Augustus, Augustus would have been dead by now, obviously. So it's going to be later emperors, like... Like let's say Octavian, uh Caesar Augustus, he he led some really big reforms to try to bring some uh conservative morality back into the social life. So they set up rules about like not drinking in public. And either either that was different in the land of Asia and Asia Minor, or you lifted those restrictions in the name of festival and you were trying to bring social order when it wasn't a festival time. Yeah, or that makes sense. I mean, there could be a lot of different things, but that was a really big part of what different emperors and they would go back and forth. Like it it kind of feels like our, how our American politics will waffle between conservative and progressive and kind of go back and forth and teeter totter in their world. There was this, we need to clamp down. We need to bring some sense of morality. We need to, and then the next emperor would be, you know, his, his platform, his campaign would be, well, we're going to, we're going to, you know, loosen up the bounds of freedom. And it was always this effort to kind of like keep uh, social order and win social you know, acceptance and praise. So uh, those would have been um, typical kinds of laws that I think are spot on. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I wasn't saying it. It's just like, without thinking about it ahead of time, I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely uh, not a Dionysian festival, put it that way. Right, right, right. But I think maybe, you know, part of it is just like a, like, we're going to, we're going to show that we have power. We're going to show that, you know, we have control over your life, Yep. you know, to whatever detail and whatever level they want to bother with basically. Yep. Yep. Um, so then we see Z going to a well and then he discovers the water is bad. Um, (laughs) didn't, didn't look, uh, like a fun time. I honestly don't know why he carried the bucket back after, (laughs) after that, but whatever. Um, so he ends up being chased by one of the other zealots, I think the same one that we saw in the tents earlier. And he climbs up on the roof and uh I mean parkour's up on the roof, really. Let's be let's give him credit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um and this is where he's confronted by Atticus. Atticus, you know, is trying to figure still trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. Uh points out that Z is unarmed, and you know, that makes him feel a little uncomfortable in that situation because he knows Atticus is armed. Um, and then this is where they talk about you know, somebody's got to, somebody's got to do something about these zealots because yep. they're going to, they're going to do something. They're going to cause problems and nobody wants that. Yeah. I thought there was an, yeah, I, I didn't have any notes on that scene. I just have appreciated the dynamics that they're weaving together and the not ridiculous way they're, they're writing that these characters into backstory. I I just really enjoy it. So then we're back with Simon and Eden relaxing by the fireplace. Eden's kind of sharing some of her feelings and Simon uh, is reminding Eden that, you know, Jesus does see her and, and she's like, yeah, I, you know, I really remember that, that moment that, um, that he, you know, recognized me, spoke to me, whatever. And uh, then Simon's like, Hey, you know, maybe it's time to add to our family. And, uh, 
you know, she's pretty excited at that point. Uh, and then we jump over to Mary and Rayma and Tamar, and they're discussing their financial situation. Start to start to get a little bit of internal tension going on here. Uh, it's kind of funny. They totally have forgotten about um, Joanna and that whole discussion. Like they're, they're just moving on and trying to figure out what they're doing with their money. And they, uh, I think it was Mary who initially suggested it and, and uh, Rayma was, you know, she's like, Oh, you could, you, some, some of this stuff isn't as important. Right. But they suggest that Tamar sells some of her jewelry. Uh, and she's not, not uh, excited about that idea. She's not having that. Uh, but Rayma is talking about the olive oil and they're like, Oh yeah. Olive oil, huh? Yeah. Did you hear about that from Thomas? And, and she's like trying to ignore what they're saying to her. And she's like, you know, maybe we could start a business selling the oil, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then they ultimately do have a more direct conversation about her relationship with Thomas and whether they're going to get married and what, what it means to be in love and how that works. And um, yeah, that was good. I, I would be curious. I don't know anything about the cultural setup for marriage and love and everything in, uh, I think, Tomorrow's from Ethiopia, is that right? I believe that's what they've said at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was like way back in like first couple of episodes of season one, I think, yeah. that she was introduced. I, I'm pretty sure that's what she said at some point. But yeah, either way, like wherever she's from, they acknowledge like, oh, you're a Gentile, like it doesn't it doesn't work the same way. Or they they actually don't know either. Right. They say it might not work the same way for you as it does for us. Here's how it is. It's complicated because, you know, my dad isn't you know, a follower of Jesus or anything. And, and Thomas's dad is no longer around, blah, blah, blah. So there's all this complication and all this, yep. all this stuff. Yeah. And I liked how at one point she said in, in the Jewish world, love comes from marriage. We've talked about that in the podcast at some length as well. Like the order of operations is different than what we're used to, potentially even what other cultures in the ancient world were used to, like they were discussing. So, and that's not to say it's right at all. Um, it may be just as screwed up as anything that we've experienced, but in that world, those marriages were often arranged. And then you, you grew to love people out of that. The love springs out of a covenant and, um, and a relationship Whereas a lot of things we're used to is that love starts first, and that's why you decide to enter into a covenant and a relationship. So I thought that was well well spoken as far as a historical perspective. Yeah, definitely. So then we're in uh, in the house with Jesus talking to his disciples. They're talking about the tent village. They're talking about the growing number of followers. Um, Jesus is saying, like, you know, we want this ministry to grow to the end of the age, he says, and uh, he's in the 12 have been chosen as apostles and, uh, Jesus is going to send them out in pairs specifically to the Jews. He says the Gentiles come in time. I liked how he used the word apostle and they all caught it too. And oh, yeah, <laughs> so much so that, um, you know, big James is like, oh, so you're sending us because that's what the word apostle means. Matthew then chimes in to educate him. He's like, I know that Matthew, that's why I'm asking the question. I thought that was a good little yeah. exchange there, but. The awareness, like you could see it on their faces when he said, I've chosen you as apostles. They weren't just like, oh, okay, next. They had this look on their face like, oh, we're not staying here. You're sending us somewhere. And Jesus is like, you're going to tell people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and you're going to perform all these miracles. And they they go back and forth on on that one like three or four times. They're like, okay, tell us what we're going to be doing again. Say that one more time. We're going to be doing these miracles. We're going to be healing people. 
are you sure about that? <laughs> and the connection to the Yuan Galleon, I loved. And um, and that the Yuan Galleon comes, it's not just a proclamation of an abstract idea, but that proclamation of a gospel, that Yuan Galleon comes with physical realities. Like there's going to be healing. There's going to be restoration. There's going to be shalom brought to chaos. So we're not just going to tell people a message and get people to agree to something intellectually. We're going to bring the kingdom of heaven wherever they're going. So um, we might even be able to link um, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom, the kingdom series that I'm doing on YouTube uh, for anybody that might be interested. We've been diving into some of those ideas a little bit more in depth and you'll see some of those themes, but maybe you can link the the playlist or the beginning video of that in uh, in the show notes there, Brent. Yes, I will do the whole playlist. Back to the scene we we see, like uh, the disciples sharing, you know, more concerns. John's concerned that they aren't qualified. Andrew's concerned, like, what if we end up like John the Baptist <laughs> yeah, right. in prison? And and Jesus is like, you know, he, I think he appropriately addresses the weight of that moment and the weight of what he's asking them to do, and he's like. Look, it's it's not this time, but a time is coming when persecution is just going to be the norm. And like, I think this is, I don't know if he says die. I think he says, give up your life. But he's like, you're, you're going to, you're going to, if you're going to follow me, you're going to learn what it is to give up your life as I do something like that. Yeah. He says that you, he says you will follow in my footsteps and there is a, a direct yet um, phrased in such a way you could have heard it in a lot of ways, but there is a reference to death, like to give up your life right. or to lay your life down. And it's particularly the phrase following my footsteps that I liked. And yeah, yeah. at one point in that conversation, is it Nathaniel, the right character? Uh, they're talking about having to do all these things. And Nathaniel says one of my favorite lines in three seasons, um, he says, he kind of looks at himself and he says, I don't, I don't feel any different. Did I miss a ceremony? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and, he, and he says, I don't, I don't feel any different. And Jesus' words, I don't need you to feel anything in order to do big things. And I was like, ah, that, yeah, that is a, and that's not to discount feelings or the proper place of any of that stuff, but so much so like, I think we so often attach whether or not we're our spirituality is authentic. We're alive and vibrant and full of power and the spirit because we, we feel it. And I loved that line. I thought it was so good. So it, you know, it is kind of a heavy moment. Like I think, yeah, there's, there's a couple ways that you could interpret it. I'm certain that the disciples, I mean, as we see throughout the gospels, like Jesus is telling them multiple times that he's going to die and they really don't quite <laughs> grasp that, uh, until later. So it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they're phrasing it this way and just kind of like slowly building into it. I'm sure we're going to get a more direct statement from Jesus about this in the future. Um, but I think everyone's like, okay, all right. And, and they're just kind of like resting on, on the fact that Jesus says, you know, this trip's going to be fine. Like we don't have anything to worry about it. Um, so then they, they, they're talking about the money situation and, uh, Simon nominates Matthew to be their, you know, their treasure, their keeper of the, I don't know, bookkeeper necessarily, keeper of the purse. That's what I was looking for. Yep. Keeper of the purse. Uh, and Matthew's like, no way. I'm not doing that. I don't want to have anything to do with the money. I nominate Judas. And Judas is very surprised by this. You know, at some point in the conversation, he acknowledged that he's very new. So I think, you know, the fact that he's getting responsibility so quickly um, was a surprise to him. Um, but everyone agrees like, yeah, that'll be, that'll be fine. You know, Matthew endorses 
his uh, his skills in that way. And so everyone agrees. And then Jesus goes and assigns the pairs. And that is uh, a fun conversation. Like, <laughs> I guess, and this makes sense, like Z did not even know until after he had already been paired with Matthew that Matthew was a former tax collector. <laughs> and so there's quite a bit of like, wait a second, what? He was? And then Jesus goes into this big conversation about like, you know, it doesn't matter what you did before. Like you are, you've been called now you're, you're in a different spot and like, that's, that's going to be fine. Like you, and he sends them on the farthest journey. They're going to have plenty of time to talk through their yeah. relative beliefs about society and, and whatever. You know, I, I didn't mind how they wrote that in there at all. I, I think it's probably unlikely that somebody would have ever joined the Havara and and the back murmuring would never have contained the fact that Matthew used to be, you know, that your late night chats around the campfire. Nobody mentioned the stigma of Matthew, Matthew's past. But um, I, I mean, it was a pretty big plot point yeah, earlier on yeah. and i think z just came after that and so yeah a little bit i, I mean not a whole lot i mean it's he's not the last disciple to have joined he's been there for quite a while but right um yeah uh, and i you know the the other character point that i i appreciate personally um is they're not de- they're not taking the opportunity to demonize judas like you don't get a sense that judas like when he accepts the role as treasurer or at any of these conversations, you don't get this like, oh, he's the slimy betrayer. He is in this for himself. You can see the danger of who he is. You can see the danger of the the personality points coming together. But you you are sensing a genuine, like he is really wanting to be a part of this for all the right reasons. And I personally like that um, character development for the Judas character. I really like how they're, it'd be easy for them to jump on the, and just kind of dramatically make it to her, you know, he's got that little twinkle in his eye and they just, they're not doing that. And I, I like that. Yeah. They started to, you know, lay some breadcrumbs in the last episode about how Judas is misguided about what Jesus is doing. And, you know, that's going to, he can join the list of the other 11 guys that are misguided. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think as long as he continues to have, you know, the blinders about that to, to read Jesus's words in the way that he wants to, I mean, that's, that's the thing about the, like Jesus is saying he's going to die and they don't really get it until he actually dies. <laughs> and then they all scatter yep. after, after it happens. So, uh, you know, it's not Yep. each, each of them has their own way where they're, they're dealing with this. And unfortunately Judas, um, ultimately picks a, a way that's not good, but like, yeah, he's, he's just, he's just human. He's got, he's got his own lenses that he's seeing the world through. He's got, you know, all this stuff. And so, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate how they're, how they're showing us who he is in, in this way that is, I think, pretty realistic. Agreed. So then, uh, as they start to disperse, we see Eden is upset about Simon having to leave again. Uh, or it seems that that's what's going on. Um, Thomas, uh, goes and speaks to Jesus about Ramon. This is where they have the conversation and Jesus is like, yeah, I intentionally, uh, sent you in a particular direction for that, for that reason. Like, go ahead. And he doesn't like, doesn't give him like a formal blessing or anything like that at that, at that point. I don't know what we're going to see with that later, but, um, yeah, Jesus is definitely on board with it. So then outside Thomas finds Ramon and shares, uh, his new mission and where, 
he's going to go and he's going to stop and see her father. And she's like, I should go too. like, really like he's a complicated situation. Like I should probably mediate that thing. And Thomas is like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to do this on my own. I'm willing to follow our customs. And she's just insistent. Like, no, I'm going to go too. Cause I want, I want us to be, I want this operation to be successful. Uh, so I, I, you know, we'll, we'll see their, we'll see their relationship play out, uh, throughout this season and into the future, I'm sure. Um, then we have little James finding Jesus and starts to ask him about why he hasn't been healed. And oh goodness, what a scene. Yeah. Sheesh. I don't know if that one gets you like the reconciliation scenes do, but my wife heard me listening to it and came in to watch that scene while I took notes. Like, that's just such a, and such a tricky scene to do. Like, yeah. Like, at, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, you know, whose opinion actually matters on this scene would be somebody that does live with a disability. Or, you know, I think about our conversations with Kevin yeah. uh, in the past yeah. or something. Like, how do they feel? Cause it's, that's going to be a hard scene to do where you don't trivialize the the you know that that lack of ability you don't act like it's not that big of a deal you don't do it in a way that's so hurtful and i think they've probably done it well i can't speak to that but that would be i mean what a scene like a powerful scene but a tricky tricky scene to do um and uh i didn't think they over spiritualized it i mean there was a really very real connection about the very practical realities and yet you know the spiritual triumph uh, I just thought it was, it's a scene. I mean, they had quite a bit of references to the book of James, by the way. I don't know if you caught all those, but uh, I was thinking that's what they were doing, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. And see, that's what's so I, I'm in love with it. I don't know if they're insinuating anything because here's the deal. They are not taking my personal opinion. I wouldn't expect them to. It's a very unpopular opinion about who the James <laughs> is in the, in the, in the, um, James, John and, and, uh, Peter, James, and John. Um, we've talked about that a lot in the podcast where I think it's not James and John, sons of Zebedee. I have to ignore the references in Matthew to hold that position. Anyway, you can even link my addendum video uh, for that if you want to in the show notes for that, um, Brent. So they're not taking my position. I wouldn't expect them to. It's not all that popular. It's the most historically plausible in my mind, but it's not the most popular opinion. But but if, if you don't take my opinion, then usually... You believe that James, the brother of Jesus, like the actual half-brother of Jesus, is the leader of the Jerusalem church, and and therefore the author, and, and usually the author of the book of James. And I feel like they keep quoting the book of James, not quoting the book of James, but like there are a lot of book of James references to li- when whenever little James is in the chosen. And I feel like they're hinting at him being the author of the book of James, which if you're not going to take my position on the triumvirate, I, I'm at least just ecstatic that you are making him the author of the book of James. I think that's juicy and awesome and brilliant, but I, I, I don't know if they'll ever tie that together by the time the season is over and, and, or not the season, but the whole series is over. But I, I love those little nuggets. I'm like, oh, that's just so good. So good. Well, and we've had the flash forwards where we see Matthew writing his gospel, where I we know. see John yep. writing his gospel. So I could totally see a, a flash forward where we see James writing his letter. Yeah. I keep waiting for the kind of the closing in the season seven or something to, to do a lot of that. Um, but who knows? We'll see what they've got up their sleeves. I trust them. Maybe they'll have a season eight, huh? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'd be down for that. Yeah. I don't, oh man, I, the amount of work that they're putting into this, I don't know. Like, I <laughs> yeah. think, I think it would be very reasonable to uh, have some time of rest after that, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, Jesus does, he talks about, you know, like, look, what, what kind of a testimony, like most people, most people need some kind of healing to believe in me. But if you can believe in me without having that healing, like how much more powerful is that? Um, what, what is that? The Gezerah Shiva? How much more? Oh, no, the, the Kalvachomer. Kalvachomer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, yeah. And so it, it's complicated because Jesus does ask him, like, do you want to do you want to be healed? I appreciated that. He asked and like there was a conversation about consent. And I really appreciated that, to be honest, because James has never asked him before at this point. Yeah. Right. Um, like he's talked about it with other with the other disciples and the other disciples have asked him about it, certainly. Um, but he's never actually asked Jesus. And so, you know, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Uh, which is a contrast to Kevin, where Kevin was in that church. And he wasn't looking for uh, that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they try to force it on him. Yep. So, you know, like... We should probably link that episode now in the show notes. Put that one in there, too. Got God's a good show notes today, everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, so much for... So much for the sabbatical time of session seven. We're keeping people busy with chosen and we're keeping people. They're going to have to go watch your old kingdom series and <laughs> catch up on old episodes. I love it. But yeah, I, like it's, it's a complicated thing. And like Jesus says, like, you're going to be healed at some point, but he doesn't promise when that's going to be or what that's going to look like or whether it's even going to be in this yeah, he's, present yeah. life on earth. Like it's, you know, he seems to hint at it will come. It'll come after, after this side of death, um, or after yeah, on the other side of death. But uh, man, there's a at one point James says, um, you know, I'm just not like all these other disciples. Like they're all they're amazing at, at everything, and I I just kind of suck. And Jesus's statement, which is stern and compassionate, I don't ever want to hear that again. But the others, there's so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. Uh, I've kind of carried that statement with me. Um, that little clip in my, that video clip in my brain. Because I can see the actual person of the resurrected Jesus saying that to me when I have those negative self-talk moments. Um, yeah. And... Uh, Oh, and he talks about himself as a burden. And then Jesus points out like, you know, that there are things that the father cares about. And then there are things that the father doesn't care about. So you don't look good when you walk. So you could never run a marathon. These are not the things that matter, but, but that you, you are a, you are a person of goodness and integrity and compassion. Like these are the things that the father cares about. I, I loved that. Great conversation. Yep. Um, Okay, so then we have Matthew. He's kind of moving through the streets at night, um, which seems kind of funny. But then we realize he's actually going to his old house. He runs into Gaius outside of, of that, and Gaius is uh, asking him what he's doing. And uh, Matthew's like, oh, some people are going to stay here. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, you know, we, we patrol this area. I can keep an eye on them for you. And then the other disciples uh, arrive and, uh, Matthew reassures them that everything's fine. And then Gaius kind of takes off and Simon starts sharing some thoughts. He's encouraging 
uh, everyone, and they recite Psalm three together. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it seemed like everyone was reciting it. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if they'd been like if that's something they've been working on together or whatever. But they were all you know they all grouped up. But uh, yep. You know Simon has them all stand in the pairs that they're going out with. Um. And it's just like you know we gotta we gotta be comfortable with each other. Yeah. It's a good scene. Good scene. Good closing. Good episode. Yeah, I think that James scene is one of my favorite of the season and probably one of my favorite of the whole thing so far. So I love it. Okay, here's a little thought exercise for you, Marty. Okay. To, to close out our episode. Oh, boy. Uh, if, if you were pairing up the disciples, how would you do it differently, perhaps? There were some connections that I liked that they made, um, like the Simon and the Matthew connection. I don't know if I would have necessarily paired them together, but I liked that a lot. Um, Simon Z. Yeah. Yeah. Z and, and Matthew. Yeah. And then, and then there's like how I view the disciples historically. And then there's how the chosen is like portraying the characters too. So, well, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all on the table, buddy. You, you look at this, however you want to look at it. Um, I mean, I would have, ah, man, I don't know. There's so many ways I could do it. Uh, I'm not Jesus Brent. Um, I mean, I, I think I would break up the Bethsaida boys on purpose. I think I think I'm going to send people with those tensions. I do appreciate in the chosen scene how they chose not to like just do, you know, six pairs of opposites. They like there was some humor involved with big James and little James. Right. Um, I thought that was funny. Um, And I can tell you, as somebody who does wedding photography with another guy named Brent, we (laughs) definitely make it a thing. (laughs) Big Brent and little Brent. Um, no, yeah. we don't do that. What do we do? Uh, I mean, it's usually just Brent one and Brent two, but yeah. everyone's like, Oh, Brent squared. And we're like, yeah, ha, ha, we've never heard that before. Yeah. There you go. I like that. It's great. Yeah. I don't know if I have any other clever, um, I mean, I mean, I would have done the same thing. See, I, I view Judas differently than the chosen. I think he's probably a zealot. I would have probably paired him up with, you know, like a Thaddeus or, or not Thaddeus as he's depicted in the chosen, but maybe my own mental Herodian with a tax collector. I'd pair up uh, Pharisees and Herodians or, you know, the, I love the Essing component. I don't know who I would send them with. I do love the, um, yeah, I don't know. I would have broken up John's disciples for sure. I would have just broke, I would have broken people up, make us learn how to work together, bring, bring a testimony of diversity. That's what I would have done. Yeah. At first I was a little disappointed that, um, Philip and Andrew got paired up Yep. because I was like, well, that's not going to be a challenge for them. But I, I think, I think that's just Jesus knowing where his disciples are at in that moment. Like Andrew's pretty freaked out. Like he's talked yep. to John. He's, he's gotten some reassurance, but he's still like, yep. He's like, oh, are you sure? Like, what if we end up like John? What if we end up in prison? Yep. Um, so I think Jesus is just like recognizing where each of them are at and what they need. And like Andrew needs some some comfort and assurance at this point because he's, yep. you know, on the edge of losing his mind, basically. Well, and that's going to come back to in the later episodes of season. So can't get ahead of ourselves. But I mean, that's going to be relevant, that that impulse you had. So, OK, well, we'll close down this episode then. Um Another another great episode, another great discussion. Lots of text in this one. I think uh, what, what was I saying earlier? So Psalm one thirty nine and Job one came up in sure. Yep, the conversation with little James. Yep. Um, I wrote down Isaiah thirty five, and I don't remember where that was. 
Oh, it's the reference to the lame will leap like a deer. Ah, uh, yes. Is that in the same conversation, or is that? Uh, I think that's in the James. I think that's in the James conversation. That is in the James one too. Okay. Yeah, and so then, of course, the Psalm three, and then the whole, the whole commissioning and sending of the disciples. Like, you know, really a pretty text-heavy episode. Yep. When yep. you when you break it down. Yeah, absolutely. So good stuff. Um, you can go to baymonastepship.com to find those show notes, uh, all sorts of videos and things um, to check out. In this in this case, um, you can find groups there. You can find any events that might be happening. Mean, not really any events during Marty's sabbatical, but uh, although we we were talking about uh, the possibility of me doing some kind of a Q and A style thing, maybe with Brian or something, uh, some. You know, maybe less. I mean, I can answer some viable questions, but not not like Marty can. But we're you know we're thinking about some things like that. So all that stuff's on the events page. Everything's at the website, and, and then of course the most important, the contacts page, where no matter when you're listening to this, that will give you the best way to get in touch with us. So thanks for joining us on the Baymall Podcast. We will talk to you again soon.